you would, grab a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1, John 1. It's where we'll be beginning this period of our worship, where we open God's Word, study together from it. John chapter 1. So good to see you this morning. We have a good crowd. We have visitors with us. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your presence. We're encouraged by it. And if we can help you in some way to know more about God, or there's anything we can do to help you, please let us know about that. I want to begin by reading in John chapter 1 and verse 1. John 1 and verse 1. The text says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then in John chapter 1 and verse 14, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word was God. We read back in verse 2 and 3. And yet the Word became flesh, we learn in verse 14. This is the great, strange, and unique truth of the Christian religion. That an eternal, all-powerful God became a human, lived as one of His creation, and died. He became one of us. And the question is, why would He do that? As has already been mentioned this morning, this is a time of year when many people give attention to Jesus afresh. And as I've told you before, I see that as a good thing. I think it is good when people pay attention to Jesus, to pay attention to the message of Jesus, and particularly most people in our culture use that as a time to think about being more generous and thinking about others ahead of themselves. And I think those are positive things generally. But it also, from my, from my perspective, prompts the question, well, what should Christians do when people are talking about Jesus. It seems to me that we should be talking about Jesus too and trying to spur thought and deeper commitment to the Savior that we have given our allegiance to. And so it seemed to me a wise time to think about some of the fundamental questions of our faith and to be prepared to talk to others about them and even engage them about some of these things. And most of all, what I want to do is is answer the question these verses raise for us this morning. The the question is this, why would God become human? Just why would this happen, and why would it happen the way that it happened? Look with me in verse 14 of John 1. Again, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So Jesus dwelt among us, he says in verse 14. That word actually means to tabernacle or live in a tent among us. He lived with us for a little while and became one of us, taking on our form. And John specifies, as we saw him, we beheld the glory as of the only begotten Son. We saw his glory and he brought glory and grace and truth. Verse 17, in verse 17 it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the verse I want to focus on for our time this morning. The law came through Moses, he says, but grace and truth came through Jesus. But you know, it's interesting because Moses also brought grace and truth, and Jesus also brought law. So what could he mean? 
What is meant here in verse 17 by the contrast between Moses bringing law and Jesus bringing grace and truth is that God was fundamentally changing the way he interacted with man when Jesus came to earth. Things were going to change. God was drastically changing. Jesus did not just come to earth to give us extra law. He could have done that from heaven. He did not just come to earth to repeat what Moses had done. He came, he became human to give grace and truth. So let's think about that. First of all, what that means is that God wants to be kind. That's what the word grace means in verse 17, where it says, verse 17, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He came to give grace, to show a gift, to bring kindness to us. Particularly, the idea of Jesus coming to earth is the idea that we were in desperate need because of our sin, and we needed someone to come and deliver us from that sin. We needed kindness. We needed grace. Look down a little further in John 1 to verse 29. In John 1 and verse 29, this is where John the Baptist is baptizing, and it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus came to earth to be God's lamb who would take away the sin of the world. He would die for our sin. That is kindness from God personified in the fact that Jesus is now a human being here to suffer for us. Turn a page to John 3. In John 3 and verse 16. In John 3 and verse 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send a Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus' coming was a sign of God's love. God so loved the world. That is about kindness, or we might call it grace. But the, the reason for God's love and the reason he would send his Son into the world because of his love is because we were slated to perish. Verse 16 says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. His purpose in coming was not to condemn us. He says that in verse 17, the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world. That would have been easy. Jesus didn't have to leave heaven to condemn the world. We were already condemned, and we would have been condemned if he had never come. He came to save instead of to condemn. His purpose was to show that God wants to be kind. God loves you. God wants to save you from the fate you have chosen for yourself. There is a passage that describes this in, in sort of a poetic term. It is when Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, sings a song in Luke chapter 1. And he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And that word visited is a rich word. It means to look out for someone, to have concern. And it also means, just like our word in English, visit, would mean to come near. So God has visited and redeemed his people. John is, um, Zachariah is thinking about John the Baptist and possibly even about the young baby Jesus who's to be born shortly. But what he is saying is God has come near. There is a power in that. There's a power in coming close when there is a crisis. Have you noticed that when there is a hurricane or a tornado or a wildfire, very often when the damage reaches a certain threshold, the president will visit. And the president will tour. And they'll show him, here's where this hit or that hit, here's where the damage was. 
Here's where the homes were destroyed. Now that is a gesture. It's a gesture that the president believes these people matter, and when bad things happen to them, you matter. But it is also coupled with the concern, I'm concerned about you, so I'm going to come near and see you. It is also a promise that I have the power and the willingness to help you. When the president is there, and the president sees it, and the president is convinced something awful happened here, then you know something's going to change. That's why presidents visit. Jesus came near. Jesus came down to see the wreckage, to show us that we matter. And with that comes the promise. Not only is he concerned about that, but he has the power and willingness to help us. When we see Jesus coming to earth, God becoming a human, what we need to see is that God is reaching out in kindness. He is visiting his people. And that gives context to the entirety of his mission. It was all about revealing God's desire to be gracious. I think you can see that when you talk about the kind of people Jesus is around, when Jesus comes. God is willing to deal with all kinds of people. He is willing to deal with religious elites like Nicodemus in John 3 and social outcasts like the woman at the well in John 4. He talks with Samaritans and centurions, with tax collectors and prostitutes. Nobody is above or beneath him. He will talk to and deal with and engage everyone. And when you think about it, if God were to come to earth, we would probably expect that he would say, you guys are hanging around with some people you shouldn't be hanging around with. That he would tell us, you need to be more careful of your associations. But you know what's interesting? When Jesus comes, it's the opposite. Instead of people accept, you have God accepting people that people wouldn't. Jesus is willing to go to the people that the rest of the Jewish establishment would not. They wouldn't even eat with them. And yet here is Jesus going to them because Jesus is showing God wants to be kind. And the way he does that is by coming in the flesh and engaging with people in real life conversations. By eating with them, by talking with them, by showing that he cares, by weeping with them. God wants to be kind. Turn the page to Luke chapter 4. We'll go back a little bit to Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4 and verse 16, it says, Luke 4 and 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Luke 4, 16. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I want you to notice how when Jesus reads from this, he is reading about the work of the Messiah. And he talks about how the Messiah came to help the poor and the captive and the blind and the oppressed. God is showing kindness, particularly to those who acknowledge that they are needy. 
whether that's physical or spiritual. They need him, and so they reach out to him, and they cry out to him, and they say, Lord, help me, save me, heal me. And he does. And when he does, the people declare, God has visited his people. Jesus heals the people. He touches the lepers. He notices the demon-possessed men and exercises them. He comforts the bereaved. He reverses death. This is what he does, showing at every turn, God wants to be kind to you. And I think it's important that we know it didn't have to be this way. That even when God came to earth, he did not have to come to show grace. This is in Micah chapter 1. This is a description of what God is going to do when God comes in judgment. And I want you to think about it in terms of if God were to come to earth not to be kind. He says, For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Notice that we have a similar situation. You have a sinful people whom God decides to visit. But it's not pretty. These images are intended to be frightening. To think about how if God were to come here in anger or in wrath, how the the forms of the earth couldn't stand before him. How the mountains would melt. Now, don't misunderstand. Micah is not being literal. God isn't going to literally walk on the mountains. What he is saying is, God could come in judgment and it would be a terrifying thing. But Jesus' coming indicates that God is coming with a different purpose. He could have come in wrath. Instead, he came in grace because God wants to be kind. Go with me back to John chapter 1. The good news about this is that even though we don't see Jesus in the flesh... We, though at a distance, can receive benefit from the kindness of God that Jesus brought. In John chapter 1 and verse 11, John 1 and verse 11, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him and believed in His name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So He gives us the right to be forgiven and to become children of God, to be born again, to be changed and remade, to be made new. Because Jesus came to signal a change in the way God is going to interact with man. The law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus. God wants to be kind and give this offer of salvation to be a child of God to all people. Well, let's talk about the second part of John 1.17 now. In John 1.17 it says... For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's talk a little bit about truth. What we're going to see here is that not only does God want to be kind, but God wants to be known. Jesus came to teach us. He came to give truth, particularly about that different way God's going to deal with man. But the focus here is how Jesus reveals God in a new way. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now you're probably aware that the first part of that verse, no one has ever seen God, is sort of an Old Testament staple. 
that there is the expectation that while there are some exceptions like Moses who is able to see parts of God or forms of God, that there are times when people have encounters with God, that the idea that no one ever sees God and lives is sort of a fact of the Old Testament. And the point about that is God is too great to be seen. We don't just get to look at God and investigate God. God's not like a person. God's too great for that. He's too holy for that. And yet here in verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made God known. He has revealed God. The word actually means to explain. He has explained the Father. Jesus has shown us something about God. He has made God known because God now wants to be known in a new and deeper way. So while Moses gave people the law and the people argued about and tried to follow and study the law, Jesus is here to show us the God behind the law. What does God think? What does God want? What is God like? That's what Jesus is here to reveal to us. So Jesus can speak with absolute authority about God. Everything about God, what he likes and doesn't like, who he wants and does not want. Jesus has all the answers. Through his words, we know God. Look with me in John 14. John chapter 14. Jesus speaks to this himself. In John 14 and verse 4, this is as Jesus is about to depart and he knows he's trying to prepare his disciples for what's coming. John 14 and verse 4, he says, You know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. A couple of notable things here. First in verse 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying very clearly, to know me is to know the Father. I am showing you the Father, and when you are around me, you see him. Now Philip asks for a clearer demonstration. Verse 8, show us the Father and it's enough for us, which I always take as funny. For one, I don't know what Philip is asking. I don't know if he wants some kind of, you know, lightning demonstration or the, the clouds depart. I don't know what he's asking. For two, I just love his phrase, hey, if you just show us God, then we'd be fine. As if that's not a big thing to ask. You know, hey, it's enough. Just show me the Father. But one way or another, Jesus says, in response to that, verse 9, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, I already have. Don't you know me? Don't you understand what's been happening for these years, Philip? Have you been with me so long and you don't get it? That when you know Jesus, you know God. So why would God become human? Because in a human form, 
God can reveal Himself more clearly. It is easier for us to know people than to know God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to get to know someone really well from a distance? Whether that's something you've done on the phone, something you've done through some kind of digital correspondence, maybe the old school just writing letters. Is it easier to get to know someone from a distance or face-to-face? How much different it is when we are actually able to have conversations or interact or do things together. It is just easier for us to know people that we are close to. So Jesus wants to show us God in a way that we can process more easily. And so when you ask the question, why would God become human? This is a part of it. God wants us to know him And those images of what Jesus does, seeing God as a human interact in the situations we deal with, helps us to see what God's really like. And so he reveals God to us. Turn with me to John 17. John 17. This is where our two lines of thought, grace and truth, converge. John chapter 17. Jesus is praying here. John 17, beginning in verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus has come, he says in verse 2, to give eternal life. And eternal life, look particularly at verse 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God. So Jesus says, I've done my work. I've manifested your name to them. He says in verse 6 and again in verse 26. But what exactly does it mean to say that eternal life is to know God? My understanding of this is that true life, life that is eternal, life that will sustain us forever, including through our own physical death, That life is found in our relationship with God, in knowing God. Please understand, knowing here is not the idea of knowing facts. Knowing here is the idea of relationship. In Him is life, and we must be connected to Him in order to have life. So God became human to show us this higher way of living, eternal life. By showing us his grace and calling us to it. He shows us the Father and calls us to him. Well, you might ask, well, what what do we learn about God from Jesus? In which case, we would have to be here a lot longer than we're going to be here this morning for me to be able to answer that question. Let me just say, what Jesus reveals to us about God is that God wants us to live governed by two great commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. That to love God, to truly love God, we have to humble ourselves. We have to stop blaming other people for our sins. We have to say, as the tax collector does, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We have to be what Jesus calls poor in spirit. We have to understand that sin comes from within, from us, not from forces outside us. And that we are guilty and we are responsible. That to truly love God, we have to do more than be hypocritical and try to please the people around us. We have to try for more than the forms of religion. But we have to be sincere. So much so that we would do what we do whether anybody saw us or not. That's what Jesus shows us about God. Not only does he teach it, he lives it. Because that's what God wants from us. Sincerity and earnest honesty. But Jesus also shows us that God wants us to love our neighbor. And that you cannot know God without understanding God's great passion for people. And that you cannot love God without loving people. It won't work. If you see Jesus in the Gospels, there are times where he is focused on devoting himself to worship to God. But then he goes back to be with people, frustrating people. He goes to eat at the Pharisee's house. Do you know how frustrating that must have been? Over and over again, he, he weaves his way through their traps because he needs to be with people. Sometimes he even tells stories, like the three stories in Luke 15, that show how desperately God loves and seeks after his lost sheep or coins or sons. God loves people, and that's why Jesus is here. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to love God and I have to love my neighbor. It means I have to abandon the idea that I'm going to keep trying to have power over people and advance over them so that I look better than they do. I'm not trying to please them. I'm instead trying to serve and help them. Jesus will say, inasmuch as you serve the least of these, my brethren, you serve me. Over and over again, he teaches us to love God and to love our neighbor. That's what he wants us to see that God cares most about. So, God wants to be known, and Jesus teaches us about God, and then he lives the way God would live if God were a human. And in that way, he calls us not only to receive God's grace, he calls us to know and be like God. So when we ask the question, why would God become human? The answer is that it's more than the good news that a baby is born somewhere. What we're talking about is God's overture to mankind. One that he has been building for centuries that finally comes to pass. Where he can set free his people who have been enslaved to sin and teach them about him. To gather his people into one people whom he will then save and live in. And that plan crystallizes when Jesus is born and lives as a man and offers himself as a sinless sacrifice on the cross for us. But it also brings a question to us. And this is the question I want to leave you with this morning. 
How am I responding to the grace and the truth that Jesus has brought? Do I need to change? Do I need to know the Lord Jesus? Do I need to know God through him? Am I a child of God? Have I been born again? Do I believe? I encourage you, this season and every season, to think deeply about Jesus and your response to him. Now, if that means that you want to study more about Jesus and learn more about him so that you can know whether you are ready to follow him, we'd love to do that. But if that means that you're ready this morning to give your life over to him and become his disciple, we would love nothing more than to baptize you into Christ so that you can be free from your sins, become a child of God today. Is there any need that you have? We invite you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.